League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas present Tall City Elections. Here's your host, Michael Todd. Welcome to another episode of the Tall City Elections Podcasts. My name is Michael. This program is dedicated to providing information about the upcoming local elections as we make it accessible to our listeners who are visually impaired. The Tall City Elections 2021 podcast is a collaboration between the Recording Library of West Texas and the League of Women Voters. We want to thank all of our supporters for making this possible. With us today is Robin Poole, at-large candidate for City Council. Thank you for taking time to be with us today, Robin. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and you were kind enough to participate in our Tall City Elections podcast two years ago, so you're familiar with our format. And I'd like to begin, like we did last time, by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background and and who you are. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Robin Poole. I was born and raised in Midland, Texas, and I live here with my husband and two of my children uh, who are in um, ninth grade and third grade. And my oldest, we just actually moved off to College Station where he is a freshman at Texas A&M. My wife will love that she went to A&M. Do what? My wife will love that because she also graduated from A&M. <laughs> oh, excellent. So we have a fellow Aggie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, wonderful. Well, yes. Um, so he, he has moved off. And, and honestly, my children are a big part of, of why I want to serve the city. Uh, you know, my hope is that my son will move back to Midland one day when he's ready to settle down and have a family of his own. And so I definitely want to work to make Midland uh, the best version of itself that it can be. Um, I actually, like you said, I ran in 2019 and narrowly uh, lost that campaign. And I think since then, the conviction in my heart to serve the city um, has really only grown stronger. And so um, I'm just, you know, I'm, I've had a lot of fun with this campaign and my hope is that uh, people will really see how much I love Midland, how much I'm committed to the city and to its future, and that I'll get the opportunity to serve on council. Well, you can, we can hear, uh, but last time with your interview with us two years ago, and then now this time, just the, and, and everything that you write and other things that you do, just the energy and the passion that you have for everything, you just, you seem so very positive and energetic about things. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm glad that that comes through. I um, I definitely think I am a high-energy person. Some might say I'm more A-type personality than energetic, but whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever they want to say is fine. But I do have um, a drive within me, I think, that um, no matter if it's on city council or if it's through uh, nonprofits here, I'm committed to serving our city and uh, my family, and I just genuinely want to make whatever impact I can on the city. Well, before we get to more of our issues-related questions, you know, since the last time that you came on the show with us in 2019, it just, it seems like a lifetime ago because we've all been through so much. Sure. Would you mind telling us how you and your family have coped through uh, such a difficult time like the rest of us? Absolutely. Um, You know, I, I think that I took 
I'm a really competitive person. So when I let, uh, when I lost that campaign in 2019, I took it pretty hard, but honestly, I think the Providence that was concerned in that was probably worth its weight in gold because of COVID and kind of what transpired. My husband actually ended up losing his job right before lockdown happened. And um, at that time, my oldest was a junior in high school. And so I can't imagine walking through um, just the struggle that that we walked through as a family and also serving um, on city council at that same time. it was it was a really difficult time. I think everybody can agree that that what we walked through collectively um, was definitely a struggle, and it we had to really face things that we'd never had to face before. And so there was just a lot of fear involved. And um, I think we decided very early on as a family that we weren't we weren't going to live in fear and we were going to try to make the best of things. And honestly, my husband being home for, for three months through the kind of through the worst part of that ended up being an actual blessing. I think our family grew together and became so much more closer and just dependent on one another um, that it, it truly did have a lot of silver lining. Um, And I think it was neat to see people, out walking the neighborhood and biking and just, um, you know, just trying to pick out the little silver linings where we could uh, through such a, a time that we knew so many others were were struggling um, with their health and losing loved ones, uh, experiencing such financial loss. I mean, there was a lot of things going on that were really, really difficult. And I think during those times, it's so important that you try to to search out the good and, and cling to that. So that's really what we tried to do. That's very well said. And I think what you said right at the beginning, there, there just is something about timing and how if something doesn't happen the way that you want it to happen, then later you look back and say, you know what, that was the right thing to happen, even though I didn't know it then. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I believe that 100%. Last time you were running for District 3, and now this time you're running for an at-large position. Does that change any of the goals that you had before? I think it's it's actually quite different. Um, You know, a lot of people don't know a lot about my personal story, but I grew up on the south side of Midland, and I came— we didn't have a lot of money. I was raised by a single mom and, um, I genuinely love Midland and I love the people here because it's just genuinely a land of opportunity. And the people in Midland are the people that gave me a chance to succeed. They invested in me. They pulled things out of me that they saw so that I had a chance at going to college, getting through college, getting into a career. And um, so I genuinely love every single part of Midland, every side of town. And so I really think the at-large position will allow me to focus on so many different areas um, other than just the district that I represent. Um, 
I also see the at-large position as a very special position because you can you can really come alongside the other council members that uh, represent specific districts, and you can be a support. Uh, sometimes when they are inundated with, with emails or things that are very specific to their district and they just find themselves short on time, I think the at-large uh, council members can surely come alongside them and say, hey, let me bear some of this weight for you. This is this is my city too. This is, um, you know, I'm elected to serve the city as a whole. So let me let me come alongside you and help you answer some of these emails. Let me go talk and meet with these people and and help you kind of uh, get your voice out there. So I think it's just a really unique position, um, and I I'm really excited about the opportunity to serve in that. Right. And you mentioned a couple of years ago that Midland was going through some growing pains, and that's that's happening uh, at large throughout the whole community. Now, I do want to get into these priorities, into these things more specifically here in a few minutes, but I just kind of want to go over them very briefly um, first. Last time, you mentioned your top three priorities were affordable housing public safety in regards to the shortage in first responders and mm-hmm. and, and, infra- and infrastructure such as new roads and the aging sewer system. Now, again, since the pandemic, that seems like a lifetime ago. So first, how would you compare that time to now? And has this time changed those priorities or even the reason for the priorities? And how, how do you see them being addressed? Well, um, I mean, I definitely think that the priorities of my campaign in 2019 are still issues that the city is facing and will honestly continue to face because we will continue to grow. We haven't shown any signs of of stopping as far as our population growth um, and development. I think that honestly... In 2019, we were in the height of such a boom, and we were scrambling to try to to get enough housing out there to house our teachers, our first responders, and just the influx of people moving into town. And I think the city um, and developers have really worked hand in hand and uh, have actually filled that need to a great extent. I think that Midland this is going to kind of fit in with the the first responder issue. But I think that we continue to be a developer-friendly city so that we can just continue to chip away at affordable housing and provide that kind of housing um, for our first responders and law enforcement. Uh, as it is now, there's, there's a lot of the... Um, the guys that we have with the fire department, they actually live in Lubbock because they can actually afford houses there. And while that is working fine um, right now, there's going to come a point when that group of, of firemen that are living over there want to get married, want to settle down, want to raise kids, and they're not going to want to have to commute back and forth. So they're going to end up moving off to where they can afford homes. So I think it's really important that we just continue to develop affordable housing here so that, um, so that those first responders will want to invest in this city and stay here long-term. One of the things that uh, before the pandemic, 
some of us um, have never thought about how how the entities of the city work together and how so many of our aspects of life have been affected since then. And we've seen the effects of the pandemic with with the hospital, with the first responders, like you just mentioned, MISD, the mayor's office, mm-hmm. the city council. And then and then, of course, our economy from from and not only just the energy industry, but of course, that trickles down to also our retail and our hospitality industries. Now, sure. In regards to the city, how do you think that it has responded to the COVID crisis and what learning experiences do you think that we can take from what we've seen that could be applied to even more routine decisions that the city leaders regularly make? Well, I think that uh, the city really came together to address some of the struggles that that we face through COVID. And I think the people of Midland deserve a lot of the credit for finding ways to make sure that small businesses didn't go out of business. And I know that a lot of them struggled, um, but the ingenuity of people really came forth um, very early on. I think now we just kind of take for granted that we have curbside everywhere. Well, it wasn't like that in March of 2020. And so I think that the businesses really, really coming forward and saying, okay, we're going to we're going to speed up this whole curbside process. We're going to speed up online ordering and just really making a way for, for people to um, take part in commerce. The way that they went about that and made it happen, I think that the, the people of Midland just really need to be applauded for, for making it work. I think the leadership in Midland across the board, you know, the, the unified command center between the city, the county, the hospital, the schools, um, I think they did a really great job of coming together and saying, we've got to get on the same page doing press conferences, um, lots of things on social media to reach out. I think they did a really good job uh, to keep the citizens of Midland informed of what was happening overall, but specifically in each of those areas, how that was affecting healthcare, how that was affecting schools. They, they really just did a great job of getting the information out there. So, you know, I think... Um, I, I overall just think that they handled things as best they could and and did a pretty phenomenal job for such unprecedented circumstances. And I, I, I also agree with you just how, you know, in March of 2019 or 2020, we didn't know of any of those, some of these things that we are using now and not long ago, i I brought my mom from a memory care unit where she lives to our house and I ordered dinner through DoorDash and uh-huh. asked her what she would like and showed her the menu on my phone. And uh, and I <laughs> I ordered and she said, so uh, do you, when are you going to need to pick it up? And I said, no, they'll deliver it here, mom. And oh, she, yeah. she just shook her head that she you know, she's like, you are so spoiled. And I said, well, we really are. But. <laughs> I said, it's a wonderful thing. And it has been in the last uh, year or so in terms of being, you know, our families staying as safe as they can be, but still getting to enjoy things that we like and supporting these local businesses. 
But, right. But yes, so many unknowns from just a few a few months ago. Um, okay, as I promised, just in, in just a moment, I would like to take a look at some of the infrastructure issues that I know that you're you're very passionate about. But before that, um, I'd like to bring it back to the quality of life for so many of our listeners who are seniors. And many of them, of course, have low vision or no vision that creates additional challenges to their day-to-day lives. And one of the biggest challenges is still this this old thing that's come that keeps coming up and that's public transportation. Right. A couple of years ago, you had mentioned that your mother, uh, about her going into independent living and not being able to drive anymore. So I know that you under- mm-hmm. you, you totally get this. Um, yes. In June, my mother fell in San Angelo, and uh, she has Alzheimer's, so now she's in a memory care unit here. Uh, and the loss of independence, you know, it's very challenging and frustrating for seniors. Oh, how, yes. How would you— Improve transportation access to seniors in Midland and and to and also to those with visual disabilities to make them be more independent and do things such as going to the grocery store or to their doctor. Well, you know, I think that the Easy Rider system is is all that Midland has at at this moment in time, and. Um, I think for a city our size, I think it meets our needs. And what we can do to improve upon that for now, I think I think public transportation has to be something that we continue to reevaluate as we grow and, and really see the needs and where they are um, in order to develop programs or partner with different nonprofits in order to, to get visually impaired seniors to the bus stops, et cetera. I don't I don't really know what that looks like in that specific of um, of a circumstance, but I do know that making the bus stops a little bit more user friendly so that, you know, they're all covered so that they're out of the elements, they're out of the sun, they're out of the rain, working to improve route times so that people aren't stuck out there waiting in the elements for a long time for the next bus, doing things to really kind of try to uh, just kind of streamline that process to make it more convenient is where we need to focus for the time being. And as we continue to grow and, you know, hopefully have more funds or find more funds to, to put into that, we can kind of address some of the more specific needs at that time. Um, so that would be my my solution at this at this given time. And I know that some of these questions like that seem like reruns, but it's just these are things that we hear uh, over and over at the recording library. Sure. And so we feel like that we need to, to re-ask the questions to be the voice for our listeners who are asking us these questions, too. So they oh, absolutely making sure they feel like that they're they're being heard. Um, sure. You know, another aspect of senior life are the senior centers, and I'm sure that you've been able to visit them. Uh, many of their activities had to be curtailed because of the pandemic. But as things are coming back online, do you see this as an opportunity to look at how they're serving their guests and, and possibly incorporating some some new ideas and, and, and some improvements? Well, yes. And and I'm I'm sure that actually the pandemic has has kind of. Uh, force that to happen. Um, you know, I, I'm aware of several programs that that have 
instituted kind of online programs to have uh, an outlet for meeting and gathering. And, you know, Zoom has made that so much easier. Um, but having, you know, online, there's programs out there that, that offer uh, different games and things like that. So you get a group of people together and you can play games you know, have vid video connection while you're playing the game, social games, but also just, um, you know, board game type, type things through your computer. There's just a whole lot of different ways that that can be incorporated as well in the event that they're not able to meet in person. So I, I know that several organizations have done things like that. Okay. That, yes. And that's such a wonderful thing for them to offer. Um, I want to move on to infrastructure. Okay. Um, I, uh, I feel like, you know, again, some of these questions are reruns from the last election, but they're issues that we, we all continue to look at. Could we talk about streets, water, and sewer and where you see them now, how we make improvements, what needs to be done and, and then how we pay for them? Sure. Well, um, you know, currently the city has a nine-year plan, and what I would like to see happen is then really develop a, a longer-term plan, maybe like a 30-year plan. This is what the, the larger metropolitan areas have done, and, um, you know, you'll see that they have these long-term plans that establish maintenance, growth, and funding, and I think that slow, steady approach is kind of the way to go, um, and that's regardless of booms or busts. I think that we just have to continue to commit to providing funding for infrastructure maintenance, whether we're in good times or bad times, because those are needs that we're always going to have. And we can't afford to get to a place where we've neglected them and we can never get caught up on the maintenance. Um, I think that the current road bond that's about to be complete was a great start at addressing our roads and uh, the city, you know, they're uh, putting in a, a water tower on the Northeast side of town. That's really going to help development uh, in that area and to move outward. And so I think that the city is really on um, the right track as far as continuing investment into infrastructure. I know that the, the council has committed uh, a significant portion of general fund monies to go towards not only road maintenance, but water and sewer. And so I think that having that commitment is, is probably the best thing that we can do. Um, outside of that, we have uh, storm drainage fees that we can use. And those are, you know, that's a fund that continues to accrue and replenish itself. And, and that's a great source to kind of address some of the water and sewer maintenance issues. So those are just a couple of, um, of things concerning the funding. Uh, another, another thing that I think that, that we really need to focus on is the MDC. And I know that the MDC can kind of be a hot button topic, but their commitment recently to um, allocate 30% of their funding towards infrastructure projects is amazing. And I think it's a really great use of the MDC. Um, and, you know, they have already committed a uh, million dollars, I believe, um, 
I don't have my notes right in front of me, but towards uh, the Midland Draw Project. And that's going to take homes out of the floodplain and just really allow for development there in Southeast Midland. Um, and then they're also partnering with TxDOT and have partnered with TxDOT in the past where, where they will commit the local uh, money necessary to, to really expedite TxDOT's involvement in these road projects in order to get um, the state funding to, to finish those out. So that's another uh, source of funding that, that we can really capitalize off of that will alleviate some of the fi financial burden off of the city. I've, I'm thinking about back a, a moment or two ago when you mentioned the road bond uh, coming to a, a successful completion. And it, re it reminded me, uh, I was thinking, first of all, of people who, when they hear the word bond or tax and they're concerned about their monies that they're paying, how much they're paying, how they're being used or are they being wasted? And I just for some reason, when you were talking about that, I, I remember an old saying from when I started working in the radio business, and that was in, in so far as your audience, tell them what you're going to do, do it, and then tell them what you've done. And I just thought, do you think that the city does an adequate job of telling them what they've done in so far as if a bond or something comes up and they're asking for this money? This is what we would like to use your money for. Would you vote for it? And then they do. And then, of course, hopefully it gets done uh, on time or better and under budget. And then do you think they do a good job of coming back and saying, this is what we did to reinforce the idea to the voters, to the citizens that when we ask for money, it's for it's because we need to do something and we're using your money wisely and to your benefit. You know, I mean, you bring up a really great point, and and that's something that I've said through this campaign. Communication is uh, really important to me. I have a communication degree, and I think that getting that information out to the citizens about what you're doing, uh, how you're going to do it, and then once it's done telling them about it, I think that's all very important. And honestly, I think that, you know, the the road bond, they did a, a great job of, of getting that information out to the voters of what they wanted to do. Um, I think it gets muddled, unfortunately, in the process, really through no one's fault. It's just the nature of, of dealing with things like infrastructure. I think that mm -hmm. the people in the city get frustrated because their roads are torn up. And sometimes there are things out of the city's control that make it to where multiple roads are, are torn up. And so uh, their travel is... Uh, inconvenienced. And so I think sometimes people can get a bad taste in their mouth, um, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the scope of the actual project. The city's actually done a really great job of trying to stay on top of um, which roads they're going to tear up at what times and for what reasons. And unfortunately, some of those have overlapped due to um, like telecommunication lines having to get put put underneath there. You know, they don't want to cover the road up 
and then have to tear it up again, you know, that wouldn't be prudent as far as money is concerned. So they have to leave it open until they're able to get all of the infrastructure in place underneath before they repave it, which makes it a little bit more inconvenient for the citizens using the roads. So I think some of that just is going to happen because it's just kind of the nature of the beast, basically. If, you know, um, but once it's all said and done, I think that actually the city is under budget right now uh, concerning the road bond. And I think I think they really do need to capitalize once it's complete of using all of the mediums of communication to their, you know, that they have um, availability to really get out a message that, hey, we did what we said we were going to do and um, and let let Midland know just how great of a job they did. You know, it's it's totally okay to, to take credit for that and, and say, this is what we did. We can be trusted to do what we say we're going to do. That's a really long answer to your question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's a great answer. And I so appreciate it, Robin. And I, it just made me think of how, you know, and, and as you said, it's nobody's fault really in some respects because, People who are working in these areas, they've got to get on to the next thing. I mean, as they're right. as they're completing one thing, they've got to go to the next thing as they cross that other thing off their list. And maybe for whatever reason, the last thing doesn't get the play that maybe it should have. And so far as, hey, we're done. Congratulations, us and congratulations to the citizens who are going to get to enjoy these new roads. Um, mm -hmm. We did great. And by the way, thank you for back in 2000, whatever, voting for the bond that allowed us to do this. Um, yes. I, I think in the long run, it, it I don't know, maybe that could help just with some marketing kinds of things of that nature. But um, but they're but everyone's very busy, so it's hard to do. Yes, um, yes. You I want to I, I want to move on to parks, which I know is one of your favorite topics. Um, you you indicated in our interview a couple of years ago that the parks were of, of a great concern to you. And in, in Saturday's Midland Reporter Telegram, you wrote a column where you again discussed the parks um, mm -hmm. for those who may not have read the column uh, or know. Would you tell us why this is such an important issue for you and and what would you like to see insofar as improvements? Sure. Well, you know, um, in that article, as well as we just did a, a debate on PBS and, and this question got brought up and I do believe that parks and quality of place initiatives are really important for a healthy city. Um, I do think that before we really address those things in large scale, we have to make sure that we are meeting the needs of other priorities, such as infrastructure. Um, we're on such a great path to get things caught up with infrastructure and really invest in the development of new infrastructure that I think we really need to stay honed in on that. And once, once we're doing that, I think that's when we can really start focusing on on parks and things of that nature. I think we, we really need to... Um, kind of revisit the maintenance of the current neighborhood parks that we have. Uh, I know that the city's done a wonderful job of getting the playground equipment replaced in, in the neighborhood parks, but we have to make sure that, that we're maintaining those parks as well. 
Um, I think that the Hogan Park Initiative is a really outstanding project because the city has invested, but they have also gone towards the public-private partnership uh, to get the majority of that funded. And then um, the, the maintenance and the management will be through a conservancy so that we know that that project will be looked after and maintained. And I know that there's a lot of uh, people, community members that are volunteering their professional service volunteer hours to make sure that that program goes off the way that uh, the, the big vision has seen. And I think that that's another great way to address these projects because it really helps with community buy-in when you have actual community members that have a passion for this project at the heart of the project. Um, so I think that's just a, a wonderful way to address, um, you know, quality of life initiatives. I'd really also like to see um, some different kinds of public-private partnerships take hold for that maintenance piece of like neighborhood parks or maybe the community pools even. You know, I know that Midland is rich with, um, goodness, so many churches that I think this is just an example, but that would jump at the chance to partner with the city to, to maybe come in and help maintain some of these parks um, and just kind of do some yearly maintenance or if they want to commit to to going out there and picking up trash or to weed control or something of that nature that they are committed to, that would alleviate some of the burden from the city. But then it would also add a, a certain level of accountability if you have another church or organization or something like that with their name affixed to the maintenance of this said park. They're going to take care of it because their name is on it. So I think, um, I think, we just really need to be open to exploring all different kinds of partnerships that, that can take place in the future. It reminds me of the state's Adopt a Highway program. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And like Keep Midland Beautiful, you know, they have different um, different organizations and clubs and schools that will adopt different areas and pick up the litter. And, you know, it's kind of the same mentality. And I, I guess one thing that I thought of when you mentioned addressing the maintenance of what our existing parks need of going back to like when I was a kid and hearing, you know, we're not going to get you a new toy because you aren't taking the care of the toys that you have now. That kind of yes. that kind of example. Sure. Absolutely. We have to be good stewards of what we have before we get bigger and better, you know? If those private partnerships were to take off, especially if they were from entities that were, like you say, churches or something, businesses that might be within the neighborhood and they have their name on it, and it, it possibly might lead to, I don't know, maybe improvements in so far as how the park is in general maintained, not just with people going out and picking up trash, but maybe trash not getting thrown in the first place because there's more of a, a a neighborhood ownership of that park. This is our park. We take care of it. So absolutely. Um, last month, Southwest Airlines announced that they're resuming nonstop flights to and from Austin. Mm -hmm. What improvements to the economy, but also not only the economy, but to the quality of life 
of Midlanders do you see resulting from the flights? Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, I think just, you know, professional people that are able to to get to Austin quicker, get home quicker. I think that's just going to be such a convenience um, as well as traveling to to that city, um, you know, for for recreational purposes. I think that that overall that that's going to offer uh, you know, just a benefit and an amenity to, to the people of Midland and for people that have to travel here on business, they're going to be, you know, um, they're going to want to come here a lot more now that they can just get on a plane and, and get here quickly rather than having to go through another city or drive or something like that. Uh, I was really sad whenever they got rid of that flight and um, so I'm, I'm really excited that they have it back. It's just I think it's a, a big win for the city to have direct access to Austin. You know, another uh, transportation thing that just came to my mind is about the possibility of, of at least one new interstate, such as the extension of 27 coming down from Lubbock. Do you where do you see that right now? Goodness, anything that's going to improve uh, traffic to and from our city um, is definitely a win. You know, a lot, Midland is such a hub for the in energy industry. And I think anything that really expedites travel to and from our city is, is, is a huge win. Um, I agree. I agree. Uh, the main con uh, theme of your campaign that I see on your website is ready to serve, ready to listen. What are you hearing from Midlanders right now? What are their concerns? Oh, goodness. Well, I'll tell you, you know, a, a big thing that I'm hearing from a lot of people uh, while block walking is they're real concerned about the tax rate increase. Um, and, you know, they they just want to know that whoever is serving is being fiscally responsible with their tax dollars. I think Midland is full of people that that genuinely value fiscal responsibility. And so I hear a lot of that. I also have heard um, a lot of questions concerning Nueva Vista and um, the situation that's that's going on out with, with the golf course and how that's going to affect the surrounding grasslands neighborhoods. And uh, just, you know, being able to really maintain the integrity of neighborhoods and, um, I'm trying to think that's really those are really the two biggest biggest things that I'm hearing um, outside outside of those as far as issues. I think that people really are just longing for transparency and um, just better communication. And like you had said earlier, they want to know what's going on and uh, in an easy to understand format. They don't wanna have to necessarily go to city council meetings and read through the agenda and and read, you know, the kind of the jargon that goes along with that. They want that in easy to understand language so that they can understand what's going in where and what kind of zoning changes are happening, et cetera. So, and, the, and those processes need to take place, such as the, the meetings and the things that have always happened 
And yet we're not wired that same way as they were a generation or two ago where you could go to a council meeting and sit there and listen to all of the, the minutia and the details of what's happening. It, mm-hmm. it feels like the way that we're wired now, it has to be quick sound bites. It has to be small snippets of information because we're so overloaded with all kinds of information these days. I agree with you on that. I it makes me sad, honestly, being a communication major, you mm-hmm. know, and this is where I can kind of geek out on things. I think <laughs> that I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice as a society moving in that direction. Um, we lose so much by wanting just the quick quips. And um, I think it's unfortunate. And that's what I would really like to try to help facilitate again, because whether people know it or not, they need the information. They need the, the details. They want to hear the, the meat of what's happening. Um, I think we've kind of created a culture that is disconnected simply because of the mediums that we use to communicate. And it's okay to realize that, make some adjustments and maybe go back to, to a little bit slower pace of information consumption. Right. Maybe I I was just thinking, and again, about just in relations to the city, some sort of a happy medium where it's like, we have, we do conduct these meetings. This is part of the city charter. This is how it works and how it's always worked. And there are a lot of details and those details are necessary. We do understand that you can't get, you may not have time for every little thing, but um, meet us halfway and we'll meet you halfway and we'll try to provide the information to you that we 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 think that we need to be transparent enough for you to that you need to have. Um, and I don't know what that looks like. Somebody much smarter than me needs to figure that out. Well, and, you know, that's that's honestly what I what I really would hope to bring to council. Um, I genuinely love people. And I love communication and I feel like I have a real gift for listening. I don't, I don't mind listening. I don't mind sitting down with someone and listening to their life story. There's so much that you can learn. And, um, for instance, I've talked to, to Stuart Doreen at the paper and said, you know, if I'm elected, can I have a regular column to where I can just give a very, simple breakdown of what the city is doing and what projects the council has going on just so that people know they can regularly look to that and they're going to be informed. And I certainly wouldn't have any problem reaching out to you, to um, the local news organizations, um, really just any kind of, of system that's in place that I can regularly meet with and do like a monthly or a quarterly update of, of what's going on in layman's terms, you know? I think that's a great idea. And it, it brings to, you know, one of my last questions that the last time you had run, you'd mentioned creating an advisory committee of citizens for you to listen. And is that something that you would still be interested in establishing? I would, I think. Um, I think at large, it might be a little bit more difficult to do that just because the city is so big. Um, but what I can commit to is making sure that 
I am staying in touch with people from each district and making myself available to them, going to events in each district of the city, just to keep myself abreast of, of what is happening in each area of our city. And there are so many fun things that are happening in every district of the city, all, all kinds of events. Absolutely. What, um, one, one of my last things I was going to ask you, what, as, the, as we did last time, what are some of your favorite things to do in Midland? They may have changed over the last couple of years, so there may be new things that have come up in Midland. Okay, yes. Well, I think, I think that most people can agree um, that Centennial Park in downtown has offered such a boost in morale for the whole city. Um, I think that so many people had a negative perception of revitalizing downtown. And I'm so glad that they pushed through and, and built the park. I mean, it is amazing. It is so wonderful to go down there on a Friday night and have dinner and then just walk across the street to the park. And, you know, our son can go play. Our youngest son can go play on the playground. We can just walk around it's just, it's buzzing. There's people always out there. There's families out there. There's couples walking around. And then, you know, an added benefit of that is all of the business that is really developing around there. Um, the micro market down there, they host, um, it's called the Low Street Market. And they've been doing that, I think, just about every month. And you go down there to that and you don't feel like you're, in Midland, Texas from five years ago, you feel like you're in one of the bigger cities and it's just really neat to get to, to go down there and walk around and meet people and uh, just be involved in community. I think it is the best thing that has happened to our city in a really long time. Well, and it's wonderful to see all of that coming up and, and all of the things that have, have been revitalized downtown and in and, and my second hometown, as in my first hometown, San Angelo, which also has done an amazing job over the years in revitalizing its downtown. And I'm, it makes me so pleased that so many cities in West Texas are, are really valuing their downtown property again. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Is there anything else that you would like to let anyone know? Well, I I would just like to just reiterate the fact that I am looking forward to serving this city in whatever capacity I can, whether that's on council or whether that's just continuing down my own path, serving through the schools and nonprofits and things of that nature. I genuinely love Midland and I'm excited about the direction that we're headed. And, um, you know, I think one of the things I've talked about quite a bit is for far too long, we have heard phrases like Midland's not much to look at, but the people are amazing. And I genuinely look forward to changing, being a part of changing the narrative of Midland so that our quality of life here matches the quality of the amazing people that make our city. That's that's a, that's a wonderful sentiment. And and Robin, thank you so much again for as you did last time for taking time to visit with us for our listeners. Oh, absolutely. I really appreciate you guys putting this together and giving us an outlet to share our vision for the city. 
Tall City Elections is a nonpartisan and unbiased community project of the League of Women Voters of Midland and the Recording Library of West Texas. The League of Women Voters and the Recording Library did not endorse, support, or oppose any candidates for office or a political party. All candidates for office are invited to participate in this project.